0: Exploring Mormon Thought features discussions about Mormon doctrine and theology that correlate with topics in the book series of the same name written by scholar and theologian Blake Osler. Find us online at exploringmormonthought.com and facebook.com forward slash exploringmormonthought. Welcome to Exploring Mormon Thought. We're continuing with the next part of the fire on the horizon, the Heart of Atonement section. And this is the second to last chapter in the book. It's called The Atonement Heals the Broken Heart. So we're going to go over what atonement is as far as, you know, what the relationship establishes and so forth, and how it actually heals the problems that we've brought up over the other various chapters of the self-deception or the broken heart, the problems that we get or the messages that we get as we just go through life in general and how the atonement can heal those things and obviously, you know, take care of our damaged relationship between other people and God, also known as sin. So you start the chapter out and you say, reciprocity, the giving and receiving that constitutes the I Thou relationship, is also the heart of atonement. Atonement is God's very mode of being in relationship with us. He is always giving Himself to us unconditionally. He waits upon us to open the doors to our hearts to let him in. The doors to the heart open only from the inside. So I noticed kind of laced in here is, we have several podcasts about this before, but it's kind of your compassion theory of atonement, or at least how you interpret the atonement. So though we've gone over that before, can you just kind of briefly state kind of the difference between viewing atonement as an actual ongoing relationship, as opposed to maybe just like a one-time payment or something like that
1: let's put this all together so in the old testament atonement was symbolized and signified by the priest taking the blood of the animal and sprinkling it over the mercy seat that is the altar and the reason that that effectuated atonement is that as leviticus says the life is in the blood and so it represented the life force that was given as a gift, and then received. So what it signifies is God himself giving his life to be in us and us giving our lives to be in him. That's what it symbolizes. And as we've talked about before, this is not something that is a metaphor. It's not something that we're talking about in a less than literal way. We're talking about literally sharing our life, energy, intelligence, power, knowledge together so that Our personal being extends beyond who we are and what we are in our bodies and interpenetrates one another so that we literally live our lives in each other. The life of Christ enters into us. That's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a person in whom Christ lives and who lives their lives in Christ. And so this is atonement. It is the reconciliation, overcoming the alienation, where we are joined together in a life lived together in Christ. And so atonement is God's mode of being in relationship with us and our way of being in relationship with him. So atonement is, in this view, seen as healing the rifts between us that keep us from having a loving relationship. And that requires that we remove from ourselves everything that gets in the way of a relationship of unconditional love. That is where we accept each other without conditions. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but that's called grace. So another word for unconditional love is grace. And another word for the moment that we open our hearts to let Christ in is justification. When Christ enters into us because we have opened to receive him. So it's a double movement. Christ has given himself to us and we open our hearts to receive him. Now, this opening of our hearts is also literal. It doesn't mean we take the pumping blood part of our body out and open it up. At the very core of ourselves, there is a spiritual instrument, is a metaphor, but there's the spiritual reality about us that senses the truth, that senses love, and that that shares. Where we literally, and again, say literally, knowing a lot of people use the word literally and they don't mean it, but we literally open our hearts to share our lives so that we let ourselves out. The energy of our lives intermingles with the life of Christ that then enters into us. It enters into us so that the light of Christ is in our countenance and we begin the process of sanctification, that is, growth in the light. So when we open, in that moment of opening, we are justified. That means that God deems us to be worthy of relationship with him. But that's how any person relates when they relate in unconditional love. And so God is accepting us. And this is all part of the atonement. In fact, this is the effectuation of the atonement.
0: So with that idea of justification being, at least I've heard you say before, it's, it means in right relationship or the correct type of relationship with God.
1: It's a term that really doesn't find much purchase in the Mormon scriptures outside of uh, d and 20, where both justification and sanctification are used. But the term justification just doesn't get used in this sense in the Book of Mormon at all it doesn't really get used outside of DNC 20 in this sense in the rest of the doctrine and covenants and so i'm reflecting on the pauline scholarship and and really focusing not on just pauline scholarship but the scholarship that focuses on paul's authentic epistles and recognizing that paul was before everything else a jew who converted to christ and still saw the world through jewish eyes And so what the new perspective on Paul has brought to us, and this, you know, represents decades of of scholarship, and the best scholarship, in my opinion, it reflects that to be justified is to be accepted in right relationship. Now, to be in right relationship is a reciprocal relationship, because God covenants to be our God, and we covenant to be his people. And for Jews, they're his people merely because they're born as part of his people, But for Christians, we become his people by having faith in Christ and accepting Christ into our lives. Let me make a distinction between Pauline scholarship, which is the scholarship that just reflects on the epistles in the New Testament, and the scholarship that focuses on the historical Paul, because not all the epistles that are attributed to Paul in the New Testament were written by him. And so we have this wonderful flourishing of scholarship that has come to essentially a consensus. That what justification is really about is healing the relationship and being in right relation. All
0: right, and then with that, you take that definition and then explain what this moment of justification is. So you say, the moment of justification occurs when we recognize that we judged ourselves to be unworthy of God's presence. And repentance, then, is the beginning of accountability for our judgments, or more accurately, the beginning of giving up and letting go of all judgment of others. And I would imagine that includes ourselves. So in taking accountability for making those judgments, we let go of the blame and judgment that cast us into the world of cause and effect that we talked about on previous podcasts or the I-it relationship. We see that we are not the mere effect of what others did to us. We are accountable for our feelings. We are accountable for the acts that separated us and created barriers between us we chose to have the feelings of guilt and unworthiness no one else can cause these feelings but us thus we can cease blaming others and stop judging ourselves as unworthy of god's presence and when we do that i guess we're just letting go of all that stuff and letting the relationship that's already being offered to us from god or and or christ i guess and then rather than fighting that we're fully letting it in and then returning it
1: yeah, it reminds me of a story a woman was complaining to her husband. You know, when we were young, you, you always used to sit real close in the car and you'd put your arm around me. And What happened to the days when we sat so close and next to each other and he just looked at her and said, I didn't move. You know, he was driving and she's the one who moved over to the far seat. So, And it's the same with God. God didn't move. God has never stopped loving us. He's never stopped accepting us in just the way that a parent would accept any child. And so the barriers between us and God are of our own creation, of our own doing. Now, we've talked about how they're natural. They're part of the human condition as we grow up. We naturally create these barriers to protect our tender hearts. We naturally create these barriers to protect our egos that we create to take our place that we think are authentic when in fact they're just a big fraud. And so what we're really doing is letting go of all of that. We're letting go of the judgment of both ourselves and of others. Reminds me also of the scripture where Mormon says that those in judgment will judge themselves to be unworthy in his presence, and they would fain rather have the rocks fall upon them to hide them from God than to be in his presence. But it's not God who is causing, you know, wants the rocks to fall upon us to hide us from him. That's the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, us, we are Adam and Eve, chose to leave God's presence. They chose to hide. It wasn't God who chose to hide. It's Adam and Eve who chose to hide. And that's extremely significant because the act here is one where God honors our choices and in choosing to hide, God is recognizing they don't feel comfortable with me. They don't feel comfortable in my presence. I see this all the time. It's when you've got somebody who is is truly messing up their lives in the presence of somebody who's totally dedicated and loving. And it's like, I don't even feel good being around them. It's just, I feel judged all the time. who's doing the judging there i mean we've all had that kind of an experience It's like oh this person's such a goody-goody i just feel terrible (laughs) well it's not the goody-goody's problem it's ours and it's always our problem keep in mind two two truths one is that there's only one person in the entire universe that we can control and change and it ain't the person that we're judging and the second is that in the presence of love we can give up all judgment we can simply accept ourselves authentically and realize that every moment of our lives we've been totally loved.
0: Yeah, and reading this book had brought to mind a book that, I don't know how popular it is now, but maybe it should be popular again, but it's a, a children's book written by a, I believe he's a Catholic theologian, but it's called You Are Special. And, you know, it was pretty popular back in like the 90s when I was growing up. But I, it always stuck with me, kind of this idea in the book, of It, I guess I'll just sum it up. Basically, there's a bunch of wooden people and they're all made by this toy maker, I guess. But all the wooden people go around and they give each other stars for those puppets that have lots of talents. And then those that do stupid things or they don't like them or they think they're ugly, they give them dots. And so... You know, the whole world is filled with dots and stars all over people, and then there's one guy that he just can't get anything right, and he just has tons and tons of dots, and then one day he meets a girl, and she has no dots and no stars. Other people's judgments haven't stuck to her, and so he's like, what the? I gotta get like that, and so he goes into the maker, the toy maker, which obviously represents God, and he's like, you don't need to worry about all those other judgments. You choose to let those things stick to you, and you can choose to let them go, and when he does that, they don't just all fall off at once. When he leaves, only one little dot falls off because the maker says, you know, just keep coming back to me, and eventually you can get work through all those things. So, I've always found that like a pretty good metaphor for this type of relationship atonement, where it's like, as we come closer to what Christ is offering us, we can let go of those judgments that we let other people stick to us to define our identities. And I don't know, I just always like that book.
1: Yeah, and... This approach appropriately focuses on love, and that is, I mean, we've all had people that we just adored, and, and you know, they can't do any wrong if they do something that other people see as wrong. We say, you know, you just don't really understand, and so we refuse to judge them. We see them as God sees them, really, and this is important because that's how God sees us. He sees us always in full understanding. There's this uh, Buddhist aphorism. That to understand all is to forgive all. I tend to believe that that is true. And that if we had walked, you know, fully in another person's shoes, we wouldn't be judging them at all. Instead, we would be standing in total awe and excitement and just be filled with love for them. And so that's how God is with us. And it's difficult sometimes to realize that that's the case. We've all done things that we're not proud of. Some of us have done really heinous things. I mean, things that not only we're not proud of, but We know that we deserve to be kicked around for it a while. And that's the whole point of grace. It's like in Alma 41, if you demand justice, you'll get justice. But that's not really what you want because you'll get justice too. Instead, what we do is extend mercy to each other. We extend this kind of forgiveness because that's what love does. Love doesn't keep score. It doesn't keep track. It doesn't care who called last. It doesn't care who's done the most. Love is giving and forgiving. So forgiveness means to give in this sense before anybody even does anything to deserve it. (laughs) We forgive them. We give them what any person deserves in terms of being loved because all persons are worthy of love. I mean, I use this example. Take the most heinous person who's ever lived. Most people come immediately up with Hitler or something like that. And yet God loved Hitler. It's a stunning reality. And Hitler had a lot of repenting to do. It may be impossible for him to do it in numerous lifetimes. But the fact is, is that he's somebody's child. He probably believed that what he was doing was the right thing, (laughs) you know, as twisted as he was. It's not my place to forgive Hitler for what he did, the kind of heinous things that he did to the Jews and and homosexuals and, and, you know, the gypsies and so forth. It's just unspeakably evil. When we stare evil like that in the face, that we begin to understand what divine love really is, because it's just impossible for us to love a person like that but not for God
0: and you give a couple metaphors you say refusing to forgive is like taking a poison and then waiting for the offending person to die whereas forgiving is like letting go of a heavy lead weight that we've been carrying around for no real reason we just hold on to it we just refuse to put it down and you say indeed the experience of forgiveness feels light because we are literally letting go of the past that has held down and kept us from moving forward. Forgiveness feels light because light enters into us and we are enlightened. I've had that experience. Like, I don't generally hold grudges, but I have, you know, not noticed sometimes of either a judgment of someone or even just kind of being mad at a situation and then finally letting that go. It's, you know, it's not about the other person. It's about you holding on to it. It's like, my goodness, like, wow. It wasn't about them ever. It wasn't about this other thing or the world in general. It was about me, and like just this feeling of justice. You know, I deserve this justice. I deserve to be mad. I'm. It's okay for this. And it's like maybe I am justified in some way, but it didn't help.
1: Right. And and I think we've all had this kind of an experience if we've lived long enough. I'd like to believe I don't hold grudges, but sometimes I find myself letting go of a grudge that I didn't know I had. <laughs> And how, you know, liberating that truly is. And sometimes it's a matter of a different perspective, but very often it's just a matter of saying, you know, I can't carry this anymore. Uh, people often say, well, I take this weight and give it to Christ. Bottom line is, is, he doesn't need to carry the weight either, because, you know, it's really all made up. Our feelings are our own creation, our feelings of being wronged, our feelings of needing justice and so forth. We freely choose. To create those and to carry them with us. We can also freely choose to forgive. It's simply an innate, inherent power that we have as human beings that are children of our Father in heaven. A person who hasn't experienced this would be well advised to work at it. I don't know how you work at forgiving. If you've got to really work at forgiving, what it's telling me is that you're not forgiving. You can't try to forgive. That's the worst thing of all. You try to forgive, but you just can't quite bring yourself to let go. But we all know the sweetness of really, truly, honestly, authentically just giving up on it because we just can't do it anymore. And at that point, we realized that the divine love that Christ was teaching, and this is the most amazing thing about Jesus, in my opinion, the kind of love that he taught was just so amazingly expansive and accepting and healing. And that's what the atonement is. He gives his life to enter into us, and if we just open to let him to enter our life in all of its power and in all of the beauty of forgiveness, then it empowers us to realize that we don't have to carry this at all. It's not a burden that we have. It's just something we've insisted because we're too darn stubborn to let it go. And so atonement is the healing of these relationships. And atonement can't be simply a relationship between us and Christ. It's a relationship between us and everybody who is living and who's ever lived. Forgiving our parents, forgiving the generations that came before us, whose bad habits, warts and, and secrets that we've inherited. You know, that family dysfunctions and the incredible bad things that continue to happen in families. The only way we can break that chain and break the cycle is letting go and not being a part of that chain of causality. So that's what atonement is. and and. Notice how we talk about, I can't move forward because I've got so much weight that's holding me down. Well, that's what it means to be damned. To be damned means to be stopped in your progress of moving forward. And so persons are damned who refuse to forgive. They're damned when they refuse to move forward and let go. Because all of these things, the past holds us back and we just set ourselves in the stream of causation, which binds us to the past in a way that we just can't overcome. We've talked about that. But the fact is is that we're free to act for ourselves, to act and not merely be acted upon. We're free in this context to choose life. And in choosing life, to accept the life of Christ, to live a co-shared life. This is a reality. And those who don't know this reality haven't yet fully experienced what it is to be a Christian. Because the fact is that a a Christian knows the vibrancy of this life and dwelling. Know the vibrancy of the light that enlightens. Know the vibrancy of the love that leads to this kind of authentic forgiveness. And it's part and parcel of opening to let others in and letting down the walls and gates to let ourselves out to be truly in connection with other people. And so I'll say it again. The focus of the I-Thou relationship is neither the I nor the thou, but the hyphen that's in between them that joins them. That's where the I-Thou relationship is found.
0: All right, and then... Next, you paint kind of a a beautiful picture of what life can be like when you live in this mode. And so, since we let go of guilt, you say, Because I am not guilty, I can let go of the past and live in the here and now as little children do. To be childlike is to live life in the joy of innocence, in the purity of life lived here and now. Children simply trust. They do not analyze their experience. They simply live it. Children do not worry about what others think of them. If they say the wrong thing, they simply speak the truth as they see it. They do not withhold their love until it's safe. They simply give their love freely. They are not laden with guilt. Little children do not engage in pretense or worry about their self-image. Because their hearts are open, little children are already partakers of the atonement. As it says in Matthew 19:14. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Through the atonement, I am again childlike the moment I open my heart and turn to Christ as lord. And so I think this I don't know if you spell this out in the chapters or it's just lost because we've been doing it so separately, but back to the beginning of we are all Adam and Eve. And so to talk at least partially metaphorically or partially the story of Adam and Eve is a is a metaphor for every person. And we all start life in this innocent state of being in what we have the garden of Eden state of innocence if you will, and then we leave it and we have all these feelings, but then at least in the old testament a lot of the narrative seems to always be like we need to return to this edenic state and so some people take that very literally but I, I like at least in this way it's somewhat a metaphor of saying we need to return to that way of relating to the world to that childlike innocence not saying be ignorant and you know have the limitations of a child but it's saying to embrace the beautiful things that you had when your child because i do remember feeling like that and i it's hard for me to probably feel like that again just because the more you go through life, and the more you learn, then you're like, well, I have to judge because others are going to judge me and stuff, but to let go of that would be a truly freeing experience.
1: Yeah, um, there's this song. It's a beautiful song that Doris Day sung. She recently passed away, God rest her soul. It's called Toyland. It's Toyland, Toyland, and there's this phrase in there, once you pass its borders, you may never return again. So when we're kids, we all remember just losing ourselves, playing with some toy or making something up, and just losing ourselves in the day, experiencing play. And, you know, adults don't play like that. And Doris Day is saying in this song, and and I found it to be somewhat true, I mean, it's sad. I'm not a child anymore. And trying to go back to those innocent days where I can just sit down and play with the toys I had and just lose myself in the play, is not so easy for me. But then, you know, you all have seen me. Let me get a train, let me get a remote control car, or let me get, <laughs> I still have my toys. And I've discovered that I can be a little child again. I know just doing the kind of things that I truly love to do. Now, I do it as an adult. I can't be a child anymore because I have a full life of experience. But that makes it all that much sweeter. And so we can be little children again. And what it means is we don't become head cases analyzing other people and judging them and placing people into categories of our own making so that the world consists of the categories we create for it. And everybody gets placed in their own little pigeonhole for us, and we just let go of all of that. And instead, we allow people to reveal themselves to us in their fullness of their personhood. That's what the encounter and the thou relationship is about. It's also what the encounter in love is about. Because when we truly love a person, and here's the amazing thing, we all want this. It's, It's you know what we all desire. I don't want to be held in my past. I don't want to be judged by my worst moment. I don't want to be judged by the things that I'm not proud of. I want you to leave me room to change and grow and be a better person than I've been. We all desire that. And so let's give each other that freedom, that love that allows us to not be damned where we are. Because when we judge people, we refuse to see them as the dynamic reality that they are growing and changing and meeting life's experiences and learning from them. Let's not hold each other in our past, but most certainly let's not hold ourselves in our past. Let's not define ourselves by where we've been. Let's define ourselves by the free choice where we act for ourselves and we're not merely acted upon.
0: Thank you for joining us. To support the podcast, donate at exploringmormonthought.com. Follow us on facebook.com forward slash exploring Mormon thought.